1: Welcome back to the Rebel Podcast. We're once again in uh, Garage Mahal. I didn't know if you knew that this is what we call it, Corey. Garage Mahal. It. Yeah, it's good. It. Eh? Yeah. So we're out in Garage Mahal recording another episode. And uh, as uh, I just uh, spoiled the beans, we have uh, Corey McKenna with us again instead of Chris Poots. So once again, filling big shoes, but you did such a good job last time. We thought we'd have you back. Out with Chris, in with Corey. That's there what we're saying. You, that's that's, that's the a new hashtag, war cry. That's that. Yeah, that's a hashtag. <laughs> hashtag
0: out with Chris.
1: Yeah. Um, so, so we are the Rebel Podcast. Uh, we are part of the Rebel Alliance Media. Um, there are a few different podcasts that are part of this uh, ministry. Uh, there's the Fathers of the Faith for Covenant Kids. It comes out on Mondays. It's a podcast uh, for your families with the Van Bremer family. So it's a great thing for you to uh, listen to with your kids and uh, get a little bit of church history. Uh, Awakening Reformation Podcast comes out on Tuesdays, and uh, that's what with Grant and Erica Van Brimmer, uh, Rebel Podcast comes out on Wednesdays for you, and then check the website RebelAllianceMedia.com. That's where lots of blog posts, uh, videos on culture, all that kind of stuff comes out. So uh, make sure you're you're checking that out. Um, those are uh, those are the other uh, uh, parts of the ministries uh, that we'll say. So I just want to jump into Rebel News. I actually have one for you. I won't I won't hit you with as as serious one as I did last time, Corey. But um, this this one was just interesting because you and I both got our start in the POC. True. And uh, and I don't know if you ever remember. So I was in uh, youth ministry, and our, our district youth guy would come around and he would do these pastor this scenarios. Do you ever remember these? No. So he'd come and it'd be a district meeting. So it'd be all our youth guys. Okay. And, we'd, and we'd break off into groups and he'd give us little notes. Uh, of a scenario like this thing happens pastor this right like what's sure. how, how do you respond and i remember one time i'm sitting there with a couple of mutual friends of ours um and uh I, so blair mercer oh, and, yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and drew fest all right, right? Yeah. so the three of us Good are, are si- yeah great guys yeah. are sitting around a table and the scenario we get is um you know somebody in the church uh went to the casino uh won a bunch of money and uh you know donated 10 percent of it at church on sunday what do you do and i'll never forget blair looks at it he looks at me. He looks at Mark Caldwell, who who is the guy handing these out, and he goes, "Keep the money. What's the problem? <laughs> Give us another one. <laughs> simple. Yeah, yeah. simple, simple, yeah. easy. Yeah. yeah, next. So yeah, yeah, so so this actually happened though. So members of uh, First Baptist Church in Alabama, um, they returned a seventy five thousand dollar donation that was given to them. That was apparently it. Doesn't say whether or not this person gave ten percent or whatever it was, but seventy five thousand dollars that had come in. Out of something that was won through uh, the lottery, what do you think? Would you keep it? Somebody comes to the cross current, cuts you a check, seventy five thousand dollars. Hey, by the way, I won this playing the lottery, um, but uh, really believe in your ministry. Just want you to have it. What do you do? (laughs) Well, I think when you're small, that's an easy solution. If you want to, if you want to
0: nitpick who's giving what, and you know, Scripture says we took nothing from the Gentiles, and I've heard all these references, but. Uh, what's the tipping point to where you can't systemically hunt down? Also, can can we just keep it real that, I mean, um, God turns the hearts of kings. I mean, I think God can move upon people to do what they're going to do. And yep. I think we've got to be a little careful not to be sovereign over the spirits moving in that. I'm, I'm not manipulating that. Yep. I, I I don't know what you think of that, man, but I th- I would... <laughs> <laughs> This sounds like a lotto pitch. That's not my heart. I mean, could Christians be doing that? No. But but if someone, if some business owner who's who's an unbeliever, matter of fact, not long ago, we had a check show up from a a non-Christian businessman. Yep. I mean, praise God. What do you do? I yep. mean, you, you invest it in kingdom things, man. Yep. That'd uh, be I, my take. I'm, I'm thinking of, I'm thinking of Nehemiah getting... was going right, to yeah, yeah, say, go. <laughs> say that. I was going to say that. I actually slid... Need a note with? Yeah, hey, you should yeah, talk you with should Nehemiah. Talk about, yeah. I knew that one.
1: <laughs> and you know, he gets he gets the the rebuilding of uh, Jerusalem's walls funded by the pagan empire, right? True. So. Um. Yeah. I'm. I'm. I'm just saying. I, I. don't. I'm. I'm not condoning you playing the lottery. But if you did and you wanted to donate to either Crossroads Church, Rebel Alliance Min- uh, Media, or Cross Current, we'd take your money. That's all. That's all we're <laughs> right, saying. Yeah, <laughs> right. Okay. Well said. Sure. Sure. Uh, yeah. All right. So um, we're gonna jump in. I want to leave lots of time for uh, Corey and I. Uh, if you listened to the last episode, we kind of just ran out of time chatting. There's all kinds of great stuff. And uh, go back and listen to that episode if you haven't listened to it. Uh, just to get a sense for who Corey is. But uh, he uh, works with a cross. Current, which is a uh, ministry that equips the church um, by example and normalizes evangelism. Great episode. Lots of, uh, hopefully, lots of motivating uh, help for you to evangelize in the sphere that God has placed you. Uh, I, I, what we wanted to do today is kind of talk a little bit more about method, talk a little bit more about um, one thing that um, I think you actually gave me my first presuppositional uh, apologetics book. And uh, and so we just kind of want to talk about what does apologetics look like, evangelism, stuff like that. I have some hmm. questions for you. So let's just see where the conversation goes Great. right after this break. Have you checked out the latest at rebelalliancemedia.com? At the bottom of the homepage, you can now sign up to the Rebels mailing list so you'll never miss an update. On the Blogs and Articles page, you'll find posts by Erica Van Brimmer and Ben and Andrew Emery as they write about culture, politics, theology, Christian living, and more. There's PNAT's Eschatology Series page and a new Members page. There's a shopping page where you can purchase audio files. More stuff will be appearing there soon. Tell your friends to have a look at rebelalliancemedia.com. You can do even more to help the Rebels by clicking the Donate button. Interact with the Rebels on Facebook, Twitter, or email. Thanks for listening. All right, so, uh, Corey, uh, the first book you ever gave me... We're going to call this the Apollo Jedi Hour on Rebel Alliance. The How's Apoli- that sound? That's awesome. Apollo Jedi. Well done. I was going to well ask you if you've got... Jump, that's perfect for Rebel Alliance. That is Alliance. perfect. The Apollo Jedi Hour. Okay. We should... This, this needs to be a regular segment. I, I feel I, like I it, it's got a good enough name. Yeah. What else do you need? I'll be your Padawan, man. Sure, let's do it. <laughs> so in, uh, in this uh, hour of Apollo Jedi uh, wisdom... Oh, yeah. We, uh, we're going to kind of talk about apologetics. So the the kind of the big text for apologetics, right? Always be ready to uh, give a defense for the hope that's in you. Well, oh, a little. little Yes. Go it's interesting it. when, you, when
0: you ask folks, what's the Great Commission? And instinctively, the, the faithful yell, Christian yells out, go therefore. But when you see therefore, what might you ask? Must you ask what's, what's it there for? There? Yeah. Christ, all authority's been given to me on heaven and earth. Go therefore, we yep. go in the authority of King Jesus to preach the gospel. Amen. In a similar way, if we actually open up to First Peter, and uh, maybe you can do that, Do you want to grab that? Yeah. And um, so, just I'll keep talking until you, you get there. Yep. Um, and uh, I, I feel think like I'm what, doing a sword drill. Right. Right, <laughs> right. I wanna. It is when when we when we ask folks in apologetic training, hey, what is the Magna Carta passage of apologetics? First Peter three, they instinctively will say, always. I'll start with that. But
1: how does that passage actually start? That verse. Uh, all right. So uh, it starts with a but. Mm -hmm. I'm going back to verse 15 or uh, right back to verse 14. I'll start in verse 14. Sure. Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your heart, honor Christ as Lord. Uh, Christ the Lord as holy mm. always being prepared to make a defense to anyone there's our motivation yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and so so what, what we find is that when we
0: when we actually in context study out and I've done this a lot just a just a shameless plug for a great book the best book I've ever read on biblical apologetics is actually called that a guy named Clifford McManus great book on biblical apologetics he is a pastor and, uh, and a student of scripture does a, a a great study on this very verse and in a nutshell, what what you walk away with understanding is that the the uh, the purpose the the verb in this uh, in this passage is actually honoring Christ as Lord, Christ the Lord is holy. It's another translation says sanctify. So the the aim of apologetics is honoring Christ, is glorifying God, it's sanctifying Christ as holy. And if we'll start there, it's amazing how that changes everything. One guy said. If we'll just commit to not lie about who God is, makes apologetics a whole lot simpler. Right. Just start from Scripture and just share yeah, who he is. Good. Now, I, I don't want to yeah. oversimplify. I understand there's some smart cookies in the world and all that stuff. But, but if if my ambition is to honor Christ the Lord as holy, knowing all the treasures of wisdom, wisdom and knowledge are in him, uh, that, that that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. If we start with God, everything else will make sense.
1: Right. So just so, a, you know that's yeah. that. that's great. Um and I I just got apologetized. So well well done. <laughs> well done. Very good. <laughs> that, yeah, this is not the verse you're looking for. That's um, right. <laughs> all right. So um I I'll just kind of take you through my apologetics uh journey, if you will. So for me, I remember uh, you know, I got uh, I grew up in the church, uh unregenerate Uh, kind of came to, came to faith much, much later in life than I assumed I had. And when I, when I left home, when I left my parents' house and I got out to university, I was just looking to find, you know, what's really real, right? I, I, never, never bought any of the, uh, the answers I'd been given in, in church. I remember asking, um, you know, uh, parents and church people, you know, how do we know that God is real, and my answer was, you know, this is you and I growing up in a Pentecostal church. Well, when when worship is going on, can't you feel him? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, mm-hmm. I thought, nope, whoops. Yeah. <laughs> so either I'm not saved or he's not real. And and I, so I remember uh, kind of going out into the big world and looking for something that was real. Hmm. And interestingly, one of the ways uh, C.K. Chesterton says... There's two ways to get home, right? There, one, you just stay home and you never leave. And the other way is to get out, walk out the front door and walk all the way around the globe until you come in through the back door. And that was really my, my experience with the Christian life is I kind of looked everywhere else for uh, a worldview that made sense of the world around me. And, uh, and after looking into Buddhism and Hinduism and, and all kinds of mainly Eastern mystic um, uh, worldviews, uh, but looking into everything I could, um, I kind of came back to Christianity only because um, some faithful evangelist on campus at Western put Lee Strobel's book in my hand, um, Case for Christ, and uh, when I turned around to, to mock him, I uh, found out that he was a Christian who actually had a whole lot of answers to the questions I was looking for. And, uh, and so I read that book and that kind of got me going and, and that was one of the ways that God used to kind of uh, bring me to faith. And, uh, and so interestingly... Um, I started out really heavy on evidentialism because I read Lee Strobel's book and I thought, okay. And and I remember as, you know, God was regenerating my, regenerated my heart and God was sanctifying me and God was driving me to scripture to, um, to study his word for the first time and everything. And I, I got really into apologetics because I thought, you know, how tragic is it that I was in the church for eighteen years of my life and never got saved because nobody had good answers to the questions that I was asking. right? and uh, And so that's kind of how I got into everything. And so you start looking at Lee Strobel and all these kinds of things. and uh, And I remember you and I were at a um, a theology breakfast and and you uh, recommended McManus's book. And uh, I think the first book you recommended, you said, read this and then read McManus's book, because McManus's book is a big one. You said, read Joe Boots, Why I Still Believe, and Mm -hmm. then read McManus. And I did. And that kind of set me on a trajectory. You you could even say, for all of our listeners, you could even say that Corey helped plant the seeds that got me post-mill because wow. because wow. because um getting into presup, <laughs> wow <laughs> i did you didn't know you didn't know <laughs> i did um, not know no, but uh but that got me into you know reading bonson which got me into the reconstructionist and rush Duny and all that kind of stuff so there was a lot there's a trail here but uh but finding kind of presuppositional apologetics was uh revolutionary for me and yet I, my testimony is such that evidential apologetics really helped it was it was a tool god used so um so kind of what I wanted to chat with you about is it seems like right now uh in this young restless and reformed movement uh Presuppositional apologetics is the new sexy thing, mm-hmm. and and all the young reformed guys are into it at a rejection of kind of evidentialism. But what I find so refreshing about your ministry and your perspective as a as a guy who's been doing evangelism and apologetics training for a long long time is um you you don't you don't have any disdain for either view. So so just talk to me a little bit about um what what we mean by evidential apologetics, what we mean by presuppositional, mm-hmm. and then and then yeah, great question. I mean, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. I mean, God is God overall.
0: And so uh, the first thing I f- find fascinating is I, I think because you're a, a biblically grounded guy that that if I was to encourage you to share your testimony, I think you would biblically share your testimony. I remember talking to a medical doctor um, uh, who is a Christian, and I said, well, how did you come to faith in Christ? And he started explaining his testimony, and he said things like this, you know, um, that I was seeking God. And someone gave me a resource that uh, that that uh, that was really made a lot of sense to me, and it was an evidential resource. And I, I just sort of weighed the pros and cons, and uh, and I chose to follow Christ, and um, and now here I am, and I'm thankful that He saved me, etc. And I remember just later on in the conversation saying something like do you do you agree that basically the christian life is one one room of another in our house is is coming under submission to, to christ as king like that that's sort of sanctification yeah. yeah i do do you think that's true of your uh of your walk with christ yeah how about your marriage sure how about your parenting yeah how about your testimony and, and he looked at me funny and i said you know i think that the perspective you had kind of as God was drawing you, could have been one thing, but on the other side, you have to submit your testimony to the authority of the Bible. And what you've said is just not true. Yep. And uh, man, he was he was <laughs> really hot with me. And I yeah. said, well, you said that you been, you were seeking God, and Scripture says no one does that. And and you were saying that you sort of figured it out, and Scripture says you were dead, not just sick. And and off we go. And and, and he actually came to the place of you know what I never thought of this this way. So I just I, I just lay that groundwork to say that we've got to start from the Bible because that that's the authority, yep. and then we've got to understand the human experience from Scripture. Build yep. our house on the rock, Jesus said, so that when opposition comes, a wise man will stand; a foolish man won't. And so, uh, I think your your testimony is great because um, because as we as we sort of think through these nuances of evidentialism and evidences and presuppositionalism and presuppositions, and there's all these terms. I think that we sort of we sort of uh, uh, try to understand, and a lot of high level guys are. are You know, are very skilled at explaining those. Really simply put, this is kind of the 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 tradition you and I walk in here, Nate. It's really important we we get this. We've kind of got Cornelius Van Til. And Cornelius Van Til, I would say, affectionately so, here here is a beyond brilliant Dutch Christian philosopher who kind of had the cookies on the roof, and very few people could grab (laughs) those cookies, honestly. Yeah. Greg Bonson kind of pulled them down. To where some people could grab them, and he was able as an American to to bring the presuppositional position into the debate sphere in in North America and such. And and then you've got I've got a dear friend, Sai Ten Bruggenkate. Just shout out for Sai, who's mentored me uh, in apologetics. And Sai was able to pull those probably kind of to the main level. To be candid, our ministries really pulled them to the bottom shelf. for all the kids can get them <laughs> because we've really tried to simplify, hopefully not oversimplify, but simplify what we just term biblical apologetics, which we believe is quite as simple as starting from scripture. It really is. And so uh, as far as evidences go, um, Si often says to me, "God can strike a straight blow with a bent stick." I mean, God can use whatever means within His character. Yep. Not to, not to. He never lies, we know, but uh, He can. He uses these things, and evidences are actually a gift from God. But if we look at what the Bible says about. Uh, about human depravity. Human depravity is total. Uh, therefore, we have this problem. People are dead, not just sick. The things of the Spirit are spiritually discerned. People are hostile to God uh, because they, at their very core, are fallen and they, they hate God. So we know that the only way for someone to come to faith is through being born again, which only happens through hearing the gospel first, First uh, Peter says. So if we submit to those clear conditions of, of the human heart and how they uh, come to faith, then we have to come to the conclusion only the Word of God brings people to life. I Absolutely. mean, it's, it's the Valley of Dry Bones, yep. the Word and Spirit. Yep. It's the Tomb of Lazarus.
1: There's all kinds of types and shadows yeah. of that reality, that illustration. You, you'll appreciate this. I like to use the, the princess bride analogy, right? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. They, they bring them in. It's like, well, there's mostly dead and then there's all dead, yeah, right? Exactly. Like the Christian life isn't mostly dead people coming to life. Right. It's all dead right. people coming to life, right. right? And and so to lay the groundwork for simply giving a defense for your
0: faith, which is really what apologetics is, it's a, we would say a, a holy, hopeful and reasoned defense. And that's a little bit more wordy, but we think it kind of gets to the, the meat of the first Peter three. Uh verse. Um, a couple encouraging things. First of all, one encouragement is Peter was a fisherman, not a philosopher. The suggestion is maybe this is a little simpler right. than we've made it in modern times. Yeah. Thank thanking God for the smart guys. Yep. But Peter was a fisherman, not a philosopher. And right. Acts 4 13 says of Peter, he was an ordinary unschooled man who'd been with Jesus. We would simply say, spend time with Jesus, spend time in the Word, spend mm-hmm. time in prayer, spend time yeah. sitting under good Bible teaching. That's really, truly
1: all you need. Right. The it'd Spirit be, it, of God. It'd be different if this verse from 1 Peter 3 was in, you know, uh, Paul's yeah. Roman's yeah. treatise, Paul. right? It wasn't yeah. Paul. No, it, it was yeah, the guy with important. the foot-shaped mouth, that's one right. guy said, right? Yeah,
0: that's right. So that, that's that's an encouragement. But, but an exhortation from the Bible is there's no office of apologist, there's no office of love your neighborist. I mean, they're, they're, this simply is a command given to all Christians. Yeah. So we should be able to do this, and obviously, it's something that uh, that God will help us to do. But in terms of more of the theological kind of um, kind of principles associated with apologetics, the first thing we would say, and this 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 is a bit controversial uh, to to the to the modern listener because they've been taught otherwise in most circles. But uh, everyone knows God. And are without excuse for denying Him. That's what Romans one says, yeah. and that is to say that uh, that um, that God has given people sufficient knowledge to condemn them, but not enough to save them. They have a general sense of who He is. Romans one, creation. Romans two, their conscience. They need Christ. That's Romans three. But that's really important because what that says about uh, about Nathaniel Wright is that you actually always knew God but you didn't want God. That's right. And so we kind of hear these testimonies. I searched the world over. I, you know, I eliminate, I crossed every other uh, worldview off my list. And I came to this conclusion. Well, we know that that's not really what was happening. You were suppressing truth and God and his grace and mercy. That truth bobbed back up to the surface like that Bonson would say, that volleyball in the swimming pool. He granted you repentance. He gave you the gift of faith. You actually uh, became a follower of Christ, and now you see clearly. Praise the Lord. Right. But I think it's important that we understand every person knows the one true God of Scripture. Not just a God, not an agnostic thing. This is a a knowledge of God that He's given us, and that's 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 an important point. What's your Absolutely. thought of that?
1: Well, yeah, I to be honest with you. So when I <clears throat> when I when I started kind of, and and my my journey into Reformed theology um, uh, was was it, it was very shortly after that. You know, kind of my journey into presuppositional apologetics. Uh, came to be so as i'm getting reformed soteriology soteriologically mm-hmm. um my i would say apologetics were also getting reformed and and uh it's kind of that analogy that you gave every room right so if you're if you're um being sanctified in all these different areas then your apologetics and your soteriology all of it is getting reformed all of it is is being submitted to scripture as as the spirit works in you but um for me as a pastor when i there was a difference when i i read McManus, you know, I I read Bonson, and they talk about this God that you know, and uh, and I knew it, but it's interesting to me how differently I shared the gospel when I really knew it. You know what I mean? Not when yes. I could check it off, but when I started using it in my evangelism right so i you know i don't do a wedding i don't do a funeral now without sharing the gospel and i never i never convince them that god exists i always say we all know that god exists Mm -hmm. and that and 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 i I usually say that the, the bible i usually say it this way uh, the apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that in our heart of hearts, we all know God is real and we're all going to give an account to him. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's amazing. You just lean into that and then you go for it. Now, and I, I so to that point, let, let's just talk briefly about, about evidences and I would say
0: a biblical use of evidences. And I understand some of, uh, some of your listeners may be on all sides of this issue. I mean, I know there are people who would say you would, you never use evidences. I mean, I, I know that that's just, it's just jumping on their airplane. Right. Right. It's building your, your house on sand. And well, I think we can use evidence as subject to the Lordship of Christ. Evidences are a gift from God. Evidence are consistent with the testimony of scripture. If they're, if they're interpreted correctly, subject to the Lordship of Christ. Absolutely. Praise God for that. I mean, um, at the end of the day we know that evidence is not the issue, belief is the issue. One of the uh, the passages we cite in our training, Nate, that, that's pretty powerful is after the resurrection, Jesus brings his followers to that to the to that mountain and uh, the Bible actually says, When they saw him, they worshipped him. Three crazy words, but some doubt it. Yeah. <laughs> so For the skeptic who says, if Jesus was standing in front of me, I could touch him. I could hear him. I would believe. Not necessarily. Some did Some Some, didn't. And so holding all those things in tension, I I believe, and we teach, you can use evidences presuppositional. You can use evidences submitted to the Lordship of Christ. So as an example... um, to kind, of, to kind of lay out the uh, the principles, what I believe evangelism and apologetics sort of look like in scripture. We would liken evangelism to seed sowing. Uh, I think that's biblical. And in conversation, on the heels of that, we sow in water. So the principle, it looks a lot like seed sowing. And then in conversation, we sow in water. We would liken apologetics to house building leaning into the build your house on the rock. And in conversation, we explain and expose. Real easy to remember. Paul does it with Agrippa. Explain and expose is basically this. When we're in a conversation with a skeptic, we structure the conversation in such a way that when a question's asked, when opposition comes, we stand our ground, we build our thinking and our worldview on the rock of Christ by explaining what the Bible says about the question they're asking. Just clearly now this presupposes, you know, your Bible yep. and hopefully anyone listening is being motivated to study their Bible and not the latest book on the shelf at Indigo, because that would be a bad result. Absolutely. And but that's what a lot of people do. They're chasing the latest. Don't think I, I'm not saying I don't thank God for those things buy some pamphlets, have them with you. I mean, lean into the smarty pants guys. I just don't happen to be one. And I think that I'm in good company with Peter, uh, filled with the spirit, uh, ordinary unschooled sort of guy. But, um, but, um, but in terms of explain, so whatever questions us, we explain what scripture says. And then we invite the skeptic to do the same thing from their Bible, quote unquote, their worldview from their source of authority. What happens every time when our house is wisely built in the rock of Christ in that opposition amidst that storm it stands, when their house is foolishly built on the sand of their foundation, it falls flat right. every time. So and and so as an example- Can I do a quick- can, Yeah, yeah okay, I'll I was give you just gonna a, say, Can I tell you a story? Please do. Colin, so um, I actually had done a whole day of apologetic training at a church and at the end of a whole day, underscore whole day of apologetic tra- training with Corey McKenna with the Cross Current, the guy uh, walks up to me and says, hey, enjoyed your training. I'm an atheist. I mean, he's still an atheist. <laughs> wow, that's humbling. <laughs> yeah, you're you're still seriously. an atheist. Wow, how was the training So for none you. of that worked, eh? Hey? None <laughs> of that worked. And so, uh, uh, so he said, you know what, the, he's super respectful. Can we meet for coffee? I've got some questions for you. No problem. So we met for a cup of coffee and uh, and um, Colin had a boatload uh, of really, really, really good questions. And so I just explained to him, well, Colin, as sort of as is my custom here, uh, I would love to first sow the seed of the gospel. So you have an understanding of the hope that I have, because what I want to try to do is answer um, uh, the questions you have um, pointing to the hope of Christ, because Christ is our hope. Right. So he said, that's great. So I took half an hour, shared the gospel. And then again set the table and said well Colin um, so um, I gave him kind of a quick summary of, of the build your house in the rock passage that when our worldview is um, is uh, is firmly built on the rock of Christ on the Word of God when opposition comes to my worldview my 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 views on uh, obviously my uh, my faith my politics my morale all the things under yep. the worship of Christ, when opposition comes to my worldview, when I build my thinking, my response, my, my action on the rock of Christ, it'll stand because it's wisely built. Uh, but conversely, those who also hear, both hear, and build their worldview on any other foundation, and possibly the contrary, any other, a false foundation as it were, those views will fall flat. So off we go. And the first question Colin asks is, okay, look, Colin's an atheist. Keep this in mind. He says, how, how how and why did God allow my brother to be born with a condition whereby he had no ability to love or to love or, or receive love i'm thinking wow so yeah. boy, we grieve with those who grieve i mean a pastor's yeah. heart how was that growing up i didn't jump all over the guy after i heard him out though explain and expose well colin I think this is a biblical response to your question and we hauled it right back to Genesis and being made in God's image and, and your brother is made in the image of God and he's fearfully and wonderfully made and he's precious to us and and we, we treat him as so and, and off we go. And, and I, I <laughs> did my best to build my house on the rock with this question. That's explain. Okay, call on. Can you please, you know, share what you think about that from your worldview? And I was careful to say to him, so what this is going to do is going to expose one as true, i.e., mine, because Christ is King, and one is false. <laughs> right. So, so he, well, it doesn't make any sense in my worldview. And 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 off we went. So we could yep. get into all the nuances of where the conversation went, but but just to, you know, I had the relational sort of uh, ability with with Colin to say, so Colin, to be consistent, push the antithesis. We call this right. We we push this out. To be consistent, if you were consistent as an atheist, we should really eliminate your brother. I mean, he's not worth anything, right? right. And all, you know, you know how this goes. And and so uh Colin is one image in God, image bearer of God, he got pretty upset with me. Yep. Well, what's at stake? Well, what's at stake is he knows all of this, all of this sort of hostility that I experienced. And it, it was not, it was not vile, but he was pretty upset with me. It was just proof of that truth suppression. That volleyball bobbing back up to the surface, yeah. thus proving he does know God and hates, but him. he suppresses truth and hates yeah. him. Yeah. So yeah. that's just explain, expose. That's how we teach it as a conversational sort of um, uh, touch point.
1: That's good. So um, <clears throat> in terms of. Uh so evidences a lot of the times when we ask questions or people people ask questions of our faith a lot of it has to do with particular hurdles they can't get over so you talked about one that was obviously very very personal to Colin. um there's a whole lot of questions that seem a lot more impersonal we know they're not because they're coming from a, a place where got where uh, an individual knows that god exists and hates him and doesn't want to be accountable to him but um in questions like you know Age of the Earth, mm-hmm. you know, all those kinds of evidences. Just give us an example of how you would walk somebody through that. Because I think one of the things about uh, apologist, uh, uh, apologetics and evangelism is a lot of people think, this is for the Pauls. We don't think of it as this is for the Peters. So so show us how actually easy it is to do it this way. Yeah. And, and so uh, another great uh, evangelists
0: have, they're like life insurance agents. We have a story <laughs> for everything. But there, there was a young man at a university campus, and he was very sincere he had grown up in a youth group, actually in our old circles, very interesting. And I actually knew him from mm-hmm. those days. Very, very, very uh, providential. God brought us together. Um, but he, he, he actually phrased his question this way, Nate, and it, it broke my heart. He said, can I ask you a question? Okay. Uh, it, it, it's a question about Noah's Ark, and this is what he tagged on. No one's ever loved me enough to answer this question. That's exactly what he said to me. Wow. And I was like, wow, I'm sorry to hear that. And we had a, so just a shout out to our friends at Answers in Genesis. And I mean, uh, we praise God for ministries that got this one because there are people who love Jesus, who are providing solid biblical presuppositional answers to the evidential questions. We need to celebrate that. So, so I actually said to this young man, I said, so Colin, uh, what's your question? How in the world did Noah get all the animals on that boat, man? Because that boat, and he even said this, seemed like a bit of a sort of a a a shadow of Jesus, didn't it? Like he had some theology in his in his head, and and so um, hmm. so this is practically the way I, I responded to Colin. I said, Colin, look, Explain, expose. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to explain what I believe the Bible says about Noah's Ark and and why, um, but it's going to expose that there's a deeper problem, and sort of like a. If you will, a magician. I'm going to pull a bit of a rabbit out of a hat here. Or since this is the apologeti hour, yeah. you know, a little, a, yeah, little, a little force strike. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And so, and so, I took some time and and because uh, I've studied evidences, and I think we need to do this. We live in a real world with real history, and so it shouldn't surprise us that the Grand Canyon's a graveyard reminder of a global flood, and I believe all that. And so, so uh, two questions related to Noah's Ark, Colin. Uh, do you know how big the boat was? Do you know how many animals were necessary? No, and no. No one ever told him. So I took about 15 minutes and, and teed it up. And Nate, I thought I gave a pretty good answer, man. And I, I gave it all my gusto. Winsome, charismatic. Yeah, and truthful. I had some information with me. And at the at the end of the uh, of, of my response about Noah's Ark, I said to him, uh, 9 and 11.15. And he said, well, what's that? Those are our service times tomorrow, man. What time do you want me to pick you up? That's exactly <laughs> what I said to him. He goes, what are you talking about? I said, whoa
1: clearly that's the answer so yeah. you know I'm now sure. that your answer your question is answered you now now you're coming to church. Christ. and he said, i'm not yeah. coming to church and i exactly i said this yeah.
0: presto right that just exposed the fact that it's not it's not noah's ark that you have problems with it's the god of Noah's ark yeah absolutely he humbly said to me you're absolutely right so he had claimed atheism he's not an atheist he just got really cranky with christians we have to own some of that he was a, really treated poorly by people who called themselves christians and etc but i think that's a response that's submitted to the lordship of christ we can celebrate the evidences that we've been given but we have to be very very careful To not, as Greg Bonson would say, jump on the unbelievers airplane because we'll just go to their destination. So what that might look like is me arguing above the surface. Right. You've heard it, Ravi's. If you know Ravi's, if not, I can share it. It's a perfect illustration about what we have to train ourselves to do. You've probably shared it on here before. Yep, I have. Yeah, the Wexner Center for the Arts. Ravi, pretty smart guy. He he goes to Wexner Center for the Arts, and the architect is sort of boasting about the staircase is going nowhere, the pillars holding nothing up. This sort of you know postmodern yeah. uh, sort of uh, deconstructionist sort of view of humanity. And Ravi looks down at his feet and says, "Is the foundation built this way?" I think in every conversation we have with a skeptic, most people because they want to argue the evidences, they want to argue in the physical realm they point to the pillars and they're arguing about the pillars and they're pointing to the staircase. We need to train ourselves to look at the foundation yep. and call them out on the fact that they're actually standing
1: as image bearers on the Christian's foundation. That takes discipline. So there's there's kind of two, two ways I want to take this conversation um, in the rest of our time together. So I want to ask, um, so first of all, I think one of the things that's so I would say God honoring about this method of sharing our faith and defending our faith is it starts with the Bible, right? And so there would be a whole lot of Christians who would argue about the pillars, right? And the right argue about age of the earth, right? And some of these sorts of things that come up. And it seems to me like, one of the first things you need to do in order to adopt this this method of defending your faith and sharing your faith is to believe the inspired word of God and that this this is sufficient. This is your starting point. So I just love to hear you talk. You you know you you talk to a whole lot of evangelists and a whole lot of Christians. Um, you know. There, there's a, a, a whole lot of Christians now who would say that we need to even interpret the Word of God that's in front of us based on what we know about the world around us. So just talk to me about the, the in, that inversion, that, that there are a whole lot of Christians who are now filtering the Word of God through what we quote—I'm doing air quotes now for everybody who's just listening on radio— um, uh, of, because of what we know about the world around us. So they're interpreting God's truth based on um, subjective observations of the world we live in rather than the other way around. So talk to me a little bit about that method of interpreting the world.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's just just epistemologically, i.e. our, our idea of knowledge, our theory of knowledge and how we come to knowledge claims. Um, uh, scripture says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in in Christ. So uh, it was, I think it was Van Til who said, we think God's thoughts after him. See, the problem is, is if I am using, you know, Proverbs, uh, is it 2012 says that the hearing ear, the seeing eye, the Lord has made them both. So it's God given us senses by which we interpret things? Um, true. The problem is, is if I am, if I am starting with my own interpretation, then I am caught in vicious circularity. And that's a that's a huge problem. Yep. See, we have revelational epistemology from the God of creation. And I remember Sai, my friend Sai teaching me, you know, if you know anything for certain, one of two things is going on. Either you know all things because you have to know what's not that to know anything for certain, and I don't know all things, or you're receiving revelation from someone who does. Who does yeah. Right? We profess God as as that, that 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 creator, that source they suppress God as that creator, that that source. So I, I think Epistemologically the dangers are are pretty obvious that if if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, then we have to start with God and His Word, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. God must be our starting point. And the, the interesting thing is, is both the believer and the unbeliever start with God. Right. They must by necessity. Yeah. So uh, I don't know if that, that really answers your question, Not but right. I, I think yeah. that the so so many believers I if we look theologically and we kind of, we kind of, again, drill down to what's going on, I think sincerely, a lot of believers don't believe the, uh, the, um, the idea that all people know God. I I think they have, find a way out of that. Uh, I've heard some of the, and you probably have as well. Some of the uh, the deepest thinkers on planet Earth, some with us, some not with us anymore. Evangelists who who are asked that that all consuming question. Probably the most common question I get in both discipleship and evangelism is, um, "Will God condemn those who don't know?" What about the Peruvian tribe leader? Yep. Your missiology is fashioned by a biblical response to that question. Absolutely. And so so. And yeah. I've heard people who, who I believe love Jesus, and, and they just, to be honest, they just butcher the question. Yeah. And if you make room for the fact that someone somewhere is with excuse and can die with excuse, you should probably go and build a wall around that people yeah, group. Don't so share
1: the gospel. Don't, don't go the gospel. there. Yeah. That's not I what Scripture it, it, says. I, I can't remember who it is. Maybe David Platter or, or Paul Washer who says, you know, the, the least loving thing we can do to those people is go. That's the least loving exactly, thing we can do, right? Totally, totally true. And so,
0: because we, we always say in our training, we go because they know. If they don't know, don't go. But we go because they know. So, if my starting points biblically, so I'm thinking Christianly, I'm starting from Scripture. People do know God exists. The problem is people are dead in sin, not just sick. So, they're totally depraved. The only way they'll come to believe in Christ and fascinating what second timothy probably my favorite verse in, in a context of apologetics in second timothy two the lord's servant that's us must not be quarrelsome kind to everyone able to teach patiently enduring evil correcting his opponents with gentleness god may perhaps grant them repentance see the unbeliever wants it on their terms you convince me the truth and I'll repent. That's just not the testimony of the Bible. Right. So th- the tough thing is, is if, if I'm, if I'm submitted to these building blocks of that God's laid out of, they know God exists, they're dead in sin. They need God's gift of faith to be born again. So they'll submit themselves and their evidences of the Lord of Christ.
1: You are, you are locked and loaded with a Bible and no more Yeah, spirit of God.
0: That's my understanding. So
1: that's a a great answer, and that's a perfect segue into the second thing I wanted to kind of get to is um, I think one of the traps a lot of Christians fall into when it comes to defending the faith and sharing the faith is— Feeling like they have to be an expert mm. at whatever it is that they're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So we, I have to know exactly what Jehovah's Witnesses believe in order to evangelize a Jehovah's Witness. I know I need to know it all about Islam in order to evangelize a Muslim, um, but this method of. Sharing and defending our faith makes it so we don't have to be an expert in all these various things. And thank God for those experts. Mm-hmm. I like, thank God for Jeff Durbin and, and his ministry to the yeah. Mormons. Thank God wow. for uh, yeah. James White and all that he's doing um, with his uh, ministry to uh, Muslims and, and such. Now, but um, but what what would you say to somebody who's kind of paralyzed with this feeling like, well, I don't know anything about rock layers. I don't know anything about molecular biology. I don't know anything about Islam. So why would I ever talk to any of those people? Yeah, great, great question. So quick tee up. our ministry is is is
0: sort of modeled after Paul's three worlds. Now, uh, Paul says, very careful to say this. Paul says, "Follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ." We are all imitating and following King Jesus. So we're not following Paul, but Paul in Acts seventeen really lays out some biblical principles. I think we can lean into uh, as we as we kind of get a grip on uh, this time and place and and what we're confronted with. And so we see in in Acts chapter two, here's uh, here's Peter preaching to a a Jewish audience and they have a worldview of the Bible and he preaches a just a straight three point sermon to Jews, to people who understand, you know, Messiah's come. They knew who that was. You've killed him and uh, repent. That's kind of it. Thousands come to faith. Paul in Acts 17 He tries the same sort of uh, presentation of Scripture of, uh, you know, uh, the resurrection. They call him a babbler, kind of a hack philosopher. Paul kind of recalibrates, and now he he sort of shares the narrative. And it's neat because he builds conversational common ground on those image bearing aspects of creation and who God is and who man is kind of those panels of God, man, sin, salvation. And then he, he leads them to understanding the man who will judge. Right. And so I I say that because I think in Paul's formation, we see Paul as a man of three worlds, we call it, and our ministry is based on this model, Nate, idea, the ideas of Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. So Paul knew the scriptures, know your Bible, study your Bible. The truth is found in God's word, right? Uh, uh, John seventeen seventeen. Th- sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Yep. You've heard it before, just in case there's one person listening who hasn't heard this illustration, the old days of of banking, uh, when we didn't have technology and, uh, maybe you've heard this before that, that, uh, bank owners would give their, uh, their bank tellers real currency and they would live with that real currency. They would look at how it, you know, they would feel it. They would smell it. They would look at the contours of it. They would literally become intimately familiar with the true currency. So when they were past false currency, they understood, nah, we don't take this here. Yep. Um, the principle that kind of hangs over that called the impossibility of the contrary, God's declaration about that, Psalm 96, I've loaded that up here. Uh, For all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols, false currency, but the Lord made the heavens true currency. Know the Lord. Everything else will prove to be untrue. Right. One plus one is two. Anything that's not that you have to know, you don't have to know all of the various mathematical responses. You just have to know what the right answer is. Right. That said... That's world one. Paul was also uh, educated as a Greek. Paul respectfully understood the the false belief systems and worldviews of his day. I think it's wise for us to do that as well. If you're surrounded by Islamic culture or Buddhist culture or or Hindu culture, or you're at a, a campus and you're surrounded by atheistic culture, I think it's respectful and probably wise. to to know a little bit about those worldviews. So you can find that conversational common ground and sort of, if you will, uh, preach from that perspective. I think that's loving and respectful to do. The third world is uh, Paul was also, he was raised, uh, I should say he uh, lived as a Roman. So here we see Paul, he understood his citizenship. He would play that Roman card to get himself out of hot water so the mission could continue. And I think in our time and place, and I know you would agree with this, that I think we need to understand civic responsibility. We need to understand the world we live in. We need to understand the laws of the land so that we can continue to uh, to submit to governing authorities to the extent we can. Yep. But knowing Christ is king and what do we do from there? So, I don't know if that, that tees yeah, yeah, it no, up, but as far as the uh, the other worldviews, we would say, yeah. I mean, we've designed uh, in, in partnership with uh, with Absolute Apologetics, um, these questions, uh, sort of gospel tracks that, uh, that are sort of, um, they, they, they allow you to ask uh, presuppositional questions um, to uh, the eight major worldviews in our sort of modern culture in the West. Very, very helpful to be able to... Um, To sort of uh, wrap your head around um, how those people think, and really drilling down to their source of authority, I think it's respectful to know that. Do I think you need to study every worldview on the planet?
1: No. Hmm. So, um, would you say that maybe a good tactic? if, if you're, you said, you know, if you're surrounded in a particular culture, right, where the, the particular idols uh, in, in accident would often say, you know, when Paul goes into a particular city that he was, he was, you know, uh, oppressed by the idolatry in, in a particular place. Um, if you're in a culture where there's a particular worldview uh, that's set up contrary to, to that of Christ, whether you live in a Muslim neighborhood, whether you go to a, a secular humanistic university, whatever you know, spoiler alert, that's all universities in Canada. um, But uh, would you, so would you say a good tactic is just when you sit down and you're trying to share your faith is open up that door and just say, you don't have to know exactly what a Muslim believes, exactly what a Jehovah's witness believes, because when you're sitting down with them, you can say, so why don't you tell me what you believe? Totally true. Yeah. And I think that's respectful. I think
0: it's winsome. Um, And in inviting that kind of dialogue, obviously the, uh, the, um, the kind of image bearing response to that is for them to take interest in what you believe. I mean, if you're, you know, you're listening to them and you're learning about them and, and we actually find that so many proponents of said worldviews don't even believe their own worldview. They're so inconsistent. And you'll probably find that you know more about their supposed worldview than they do. Uh, atheism is an interesting one because we don't really think of that as a spiritual worldview, but yet, of course, Inherently so yeah. uh, in humanism. And so I think it's a great idea because when you walk into, we think of say Niagara Falls, depending on where you live, listening to the, to the podcast here, uh, Niagara Falls is a melting pot of culture. So, um, it would be near impossible for me to prayerfully prepare for Niagara Falls by studying every worldview that I may or may not encounter in Niagara Falls. Right. Last time I preached the gospel in Toronto, it was uh, uh, at the uh, the NBA All-Star weekend, a freezing cold, uh, I think it was February. Um, it took about two hours before I met someone from Canada. I mean, it was it's wow. one of the most multicultural cities in the world. So I love what you're saying to just politely ask someone, why don't you... Help me understand. Convince me to to become a, you fill in the
1: blank. Totally. And um, why not? I mean,
0: hear them out. Listen to what they're saying.
1: And this is where it goes back to. I love the analogy used about um, familiarizing yourself with real currency so that you know what the counterfeit looks like and feels like and tastes, feels like, smells like, whatever. Um, I think that's, that's the point there is that if we know our Bibles well enough, right? We have the spirit. We have the word of God. Then... Even if you might not be, you know, if you are a regenerate, if you have the spirit and you have a Bible then um, I believe that in that moment God God will give you answers and that, I mean you got it you got to know your word you can't you can't expect the uh, you can't expect um, passages you've never read to come to your mind but if we know our word and we sit down then don't be afraid to tell some to ask somebody yeah give me your best shot tell me totally tell me true. what tell me what it you know tell me what would be involved why like, why do you think I should believe like you believe them give you the best shot. effect to what you're saying Nick because when I'm praying and I'm reading the word, I
0: hopefully that worship of Christ inspires witness. As I witness, I learn, oh my goodness, I need to pray and read my word more. And so there's a snowball effect that happens. So what I was motivated to do, and this is something we provide in our training now, is we provide... Uh, a list of Bible verses by sort of topic or category common to evangelism, common to apologetics, hmm. things like uniformity in nature, things like, you know, uh, the unbelievers knowledge of God. So you actually can study, commit to memory. I use uh, uh, scripture typer. I find it very helpful, but, but I've actually committed to memory. Just, you know, if you keep hearing the same question, the same objection over and over, could it be the spirit saying, to you get this handled? Because at some point it's like, look, is it loving for me not to have an answer if I keep hearing that question? That's really? Right. Yeah. And so as you start to to be able to speak to, Gen- I, I said on the last episode, Genesis 8, 8, I believe it's 822, while the earth remains, that's sort of the uniformity of nature principle from scripture thinking uh, on on the basis of the Bible that we can, we can sort of uh, build that a conversation on in that area you know if we're looking at the idea of the unbeliever's knowledge of god romans one eighteen to 22 study that through and and uh, and have those go-to passages so that so that your words are authoritative in that conversation because it's god's word yep so if we will structure the conversation in such a way that that i remember talking to a guy he had a he had a t-shirt on it was summertime in canada and he had a t-shirt on that said um six 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 I love Satan. Had a big pentagram, and it was it was community outreach. And my my big ice break was how profound. I'm guessing you're not a Christian, and and he starts (laughs) laughing. And I said, "Well, I am a Christian. Does that offend you? Are you an open minded Satanist?" That's what I said to him. Because of course, and and I said, "Well, I'd love to have a conversation with you. And um, you know, me being a Christian, what book do you think that I would really like to open and and share some thoughts out of with you to try to um, to try to share my faith?" And he said, "Well, probably the Bible." Is that okay? He says, absolutely. He has no clue what he just did, does he? Yeah. If I believe in the authority of the Bible, now he has allowed the soldier to pull out his rifle. He's allowed the knight to pull out his sword. sword. He's allowed the Apologetic to pull his lightsaber out. (laughs) Hey, nice. In the framework. Well done. So, so, yeah. (laughs) And so I think we just need to be very upfront with folks in conversation. And I. We'll be
1: surprised as the Holy Spirit will move. Yeah, yeah. I, I totally agree. So, um, do you mind if I put you on the spot a little yeah, bit? Yeah. All right. Too, so let's. Yeah. Uh, so I I want to kind of finish this episode the way we did last time. I thought it was kind of cool to to just throw out a couple of, of things and see how you'll handle them. Okay. So I just want to take a couple of uh, maybe questions that somebody might have for a Christian as you're trying to share your faith or defend your faith. Um, some some sort of an objection that I think is probably pretty common, mm. right? Okay. So so um, uh, you're the uh, you're the Apollo Jedi. I'm the uh, I'm. <laughs> the uh i'm the unbeliever or the uh the believer suppressing the truth that he knows about god as we've discovered this episode yeah so um okay if if god is so good Mm -hmm. why does he allow so much horrible things to happen in the world yeah that's a great question i mean we see the world's full of crazy things and so
0: uh can i ask you what would your worldview be so you're not obviously not a christian but what's your religious position uh, i'm an atheist you're an atheist okay so i i just had before i you know i can get to it sort of a biblical response we can open the bible and and kind of have a bit of an intramural discussion about who god is it's complicated but we can do that but my question would be again and i'm narrating now but but drilling down to the foundation so what is good in your world if you don't start with god how do you have good bad what is good in your world i'm just get under, trying to understand that uh, I would just say treating people with respect. Okay, so respect. So clearly you have a standard of what should be. If you've said something's evil, I mean, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but if I describe something, that's different than prescribing something. Yep. Right? So if I prescribe, it means that I'm obviously thinking of something better. Yep. So maybe you don't know this, but but the Christian worldview actually says that that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, and the Bible is... Um, is 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 God's word. So we start from scripture to understand every the truth of everything. So my question would be, what is good if you
1: don't start with God? Where do you get that from? Just wondering, because I think you know good and bad. Uh, I, I think good uh, would be like positive emotions, like love, kindness, care, right? Okay. So, the op- so
0: what, what if my, what I deem positive... And loving comes into conflict with what you deem positive loving. So if I say, you know, you're wearing a, uh, a sort of a lumberjack shirt here. I don't know what you call those things. Flannel? <laughs> flannel. Flannel. Sure, yeah. <laughs> and I, I actually believe it's really unloving to wear flannel. And I think we should eliminate people who do so. I mean, is, am I wrong for that position? Yeah, I think well, so. I, by whose standard, though? Who says? Because I, I have rights, you have rights. So how do we resolve those differences in a just society? That's tough. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Well, we, and that's the testimony of the Bible. God does know because he actually knows us. He loves us and he's not left us to just, you know, to just quarrel over these things. One guy said, there's never times of peace in the world. We're just reloading, right? <laughs> we, we can actually experience true peace. And how do we do that? Well, we, we start with God and then I would lean back to the, to, to the gospel. However, one thing my friend Si has taught me, Nate, that's really important is that like Like breathing requires air, thinking requires knowledge. So if that atheist or that unbeliever was saying, I don't believe words exist, which is sort of what they're saying about every category of of existence, because as image bearers, they know things to be true. They just can't account for them. I wouldn't pull out a dictionary to prove the existence of words. I just accuse them of speaking right it's the same thing whether it's a moral argument like you just shared or, or a logic argument about contradiction and consistency or whether it's a uh, um, a scientific argument we have to understand that all of those things start with a presupposition about knowledge yeah right which comes only from God right so and then we' we'll con- sort of conceding that like if someone yeah. asks I'm not gonna say every time, that's not what the bible says. This is kind of a if someone likes catch all answers, if someone says, you know, if god's so good wise or so well, because yeah. the bible says so, but you don't believe the bible to be true, how do you account for truth right. and knowledge if you don't start with god? That is really the bedrock sort of apologetic point that we need to at some point in the conversation I think we need to clarify. Yeah. That to take it any further, we are conceding. Yep. Right? We're yep. giving them a foundation or allowing them to stand on ours when they have no business doing so right
1: just as long as we do I, that win winsome and and right. yeah and what's interesting so you responded in our little skit there um in a much more um uh kind of leading way than you did when you were sharing the scenario of somebody who said, you know, uh, how how can God be good when He allowed my brother? Mm-hmm. Right? How, right. Depending on how personal, right? I, and I always find when people are abstract and it's theoretical, their question, you can respond kind of theoretically. You can talk about epistemology. You can talk about all that kind of stuff. And sometimes when it's personal, you respond personally. Big. And that's I think, good. That's and, a good point. Right. And I think that good that's point. I, I think that that's one of the things that this kind of method of sharing and uh, and defending allows you to do. And then um, the other thing that I I really like... You know, uh, a f- mutual friend of ours, uh, Mr. Chuck Stover, I yeah. remember uh, one of the first times I was down at the university kind of sharing uh, the gospel with him. Uh, we got into a conversation. It was literally my first conversation there. He goes down there all the time. He's sharing his faith and stuff. And uh, so I went down there with him. And the first conversation I get into, it's it's along those lines. And and we were talking to a guy who who swallowed the reductio, right? He's like, yep, okay, I'm going to live in this absurd world that you're accusing me of. of. Mm-hmm. And he we had him to the point where he said, no, 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 what? what Hitler did in Nazi Germany was good and right for him, I, I just disagree with it mm-hmm. from my perspective, my truth. And how do you respond to those kinds of people who are, who you just kind of talked about it in, in terms of accusing them of speaking, right? Those right. who are denying words. Right. How do you deal with the people who are just swallowing the reductio? And yep, I, I get, I want to live in this completely subjective world where everybody has their own truth. How do you respond to that? Because yeah, I think that's on the rise. Wow. There's, there's nothing
0: scarier really than to a consistent atheist yeah even Richard Dawkins and I wish I had the quote at my fingertips but something along the lines of when it comes to scientific things he leans Darwinian when it comes to moral things he prefers what Christianity offers well of course it's very convenient of course Um, but that's that's a terrifying scenario. I remember, um, and this this is really helpful for someone listening. I remember talking to uh, a devout atheist, and it was at a shopping mall when we could do that, <laughs> like two years ago. And uh, and I remember uh, asking him those three eternal questions. I think Paul intimates these in Acts seventeen. So. Literally, these are are kind of the three most common questions that I would ask someone that I don't know in a community outreach sort of setting. And uh, uh, number one is where do we come from originally? Uh, Creation, evolution. Uh, What's the meaning of life? That's number two. And then uh, what happens after we die? And um, and I remember this this young man call and he blurted out as though it was scripted fluke, farce, fertilizer. Have you heard that before? No. Fluke fertilizer. And he just, he had this rehearsed and and he kind of snickered and, and, um, I had to think a little bit, but I got it pretty quick, but I said, why don't you explain that to me? He says, well, where do we come from? Life's Life's a fluke, man. It's a cosmic accident. We are here just by chance random. Um, and then what's the meaning of life? It's a farce. Eat, drink, tomorrow we die. He even said that. And what happens when we die? Fertilizer. You just, you know, it's what, yeah. what what's Sagan say, and say? Yeah. Uh, you know, oh, yeah. moon, moon stardust, dust, stardust. Yeah. And so I remember thinking to myself, that is, uh, that's a little scary. You're trying to be consistent. Here's what was most scary. He was about six months away from graduating into a career in, in, in uh, federal law, making laws Ugh. for Canada. Yeah. And I remember, again, connecting the dots really quickly and just warning him. I think at some point we, we just have to switch gears and, and just just warn that person in a eternal sense about the danger. This isn't just about inconsistency. Yeah. It's about denial and damnation. Yeah. So as image bearers of God, we, we can, there's those things, we call them in training the alls of Scripture. God has said eternity in the hearts of people, Ecclesiastes 3.11. That person thinks about dying. You're a pastor. You understand that when someone's in that position, man, they're scared. That's Hebrews 2. People are in bondage to a fear of death. That's right. All people have sinned. People have a conscience. They know these things. So we can lean into those common things we have and appeal to those. And at the end of the day, it's a work of the spirit, man. There's nothing we can do to beat them over the head. (laughs) Right. And I just wanted to to go back to something you said about, um, you know, when someone is giving you personal sort of examples as opposed to just sort of generic. And, and Paul with Agrippa is just textbook apologetics. He even says, the scripture says, Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. Yeah. Right? Apologia here. I, I, I like to say he spoke with his hands like a real preacher. Right, <laughs> exactly. I consider myself fortunate that it is before you, King Agrippa, I'm going to make my defense. I mean, so yeah. winsome, yeah. so so persuasive. And that that's, that's the heart of God. Yeah. Very personal, very persuasive. So we understand this is the work of the Spirit, but isn't it fascinating that though God says he grants repentance in 2 Timothy 2, he also says the Lord's servant, that's us, must not be quarrelsome, kind. We call those adjectives of ambassadorship, attitudes of ambassadorship. There's some sovereign mystery in the fact that if God wanted a tract dispenser in every corner of the planet, he would have done so, but he entrusts us not just with what we say, but how we say it. So important, man. Yeah, absolutely. So important.
1: And that's actually, you know, that's probably a good way for us to end this. Is um, there is mystery here, right? This is the Deuteronomy twenty nine. Um, you know, what God has revealed to us is for us and for our children, but those things that He hasn't revealed are, are His. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I think there is some mystery here in that God regenerates a heart and. Salvation is solely a work of God shining gospel light into a dead, dark heart. But, but the means by which he does that is through us. And that seems like an awful plan to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it seems like not the way I would have entrusted it because I know myself and I'm not trustworthy enough to, right. to carry yeah. this out. But in his divine wisdom, this is how God orchestrated the world. But you're not saying he needs us but I'm not saying he needs us. What I'm saying He's is... He's got this, right? Just to be clear. That's exactly it. So there's it. the tension again. That's exactly and, right. And that's how guitars are played with tension on strings, right? Yeah. There's tension in that. And and I think as Christians um, who want to be biblical, we need to be willing to live with that tension. You're responsible. God is sovereign. And, uh, and ultimately, um, whether that's our theological understanding, that's our soteriology, it has to be our apologetics and mm-hmm. our evangelism as well. And th- this comes full circle,
0: that... First Peter three starts with sanctify the Lord is holy. Our motivation for everything, all life and witness, whether what we eat, we drink is primarily the glory of God. Are we concerned for the fate of the lost? Of course we are. Paul says that, I mean, he talks about his Jewish kinsmen and basically that he would trade his salvation for theirs. Phenomenal love for the lost. Spurgeon was all over that. But at the end of the day, if we live life for the glory of God, we'll never, ever, ever, quote-unquote, be disappointed, and we'll never, ever be man-focused and man-centered in our
1: witness. Absolutely. So you once told me that every Christian should be able to share the gospel in 60 seconds. Right on. So that you can say to somebody, right? So presuppositionally, uh, Romans 1, you know, everything we've just been just talking about, throw it to me, share the gospel with our listeners, 60 seconds, go.
0: Well, I think uh, the, the question is, will you be with God in heaven? The Bible says from the bar- very beginning that the price of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. So how many times have you sinned, lied, lusted, stolen, hated, knowing that you've done so? Well, every time you have, you've sinned against a holy God, alienating yourself from him. Even your thinking is against him and you will face a second death, which is eternity in a lake of fire. But Jesus Christ paid for sins, taking them and God's wrath against sinners upon himself. He shed out his, his blood he died on the cross in place of sinners and then he rose from the grave defeating sin defeating death just as the scriptures foretold that he would to be reconciled to god you must repent turn and trust that jesus died for your sin. your sins will be forgiven christ is lord and you will spend forever with god in heaven and that's good news
1: and that's about 60 seconds about 60 seconds good job thanks so much for being here man amen thanks man all right uh, so once again, cross the cross um, or check them out on Facebook at keeping the cross current, um, on Facebook. So thanks for being with us. A God great time. you guys. Thank you.